As we continue on in our series in the book of Romans, uh, this series is called uh, A First Century Faith for the 21st Century. And we're in Romans chapter 5 right now. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open that up, whether that's physically or in your app. And let's go ahead and stand now um, for the reading of God's word. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the entire chapter, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also uh, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life of for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience will many be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we um, look into these deep doctrinal truths of um, our death and sin in Adam, may we be renewed in our minds, regardless of whatever suffering we're going through, um, of life and grace and eternal um, fellowship with you and our justification before you to be made right and to be reconciled to you through Christ Jesus, Lord. Uh, Sometimes we forget and uh, we take for granted these gospel truths, but uh, and here we are being reminded of that once again, 
Lord. And so I pray that you would use this time to anchor our faith, to renew our minds away from the things that we look to the world to save us, and to, um, to renew our sense of gospel-centeredness in our life, Lord, of what Christ has done and continues to do and will do in the future for those who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go down and have a seat. Okay, this series, uh, First Century Faith for the 21st Century. We're looking at Romans chapter 5 today. There's a lot in here. It's a very um, doctrinal, very kind of um, uh, legal case that the Apostle Paul's laying out. And really the purpose of this sermon here is he's setting up a contrast. Actually, I think we have the title for this sermon here um, coming up somewhere. You know what? These slides don't work. That's so weird. It's like it works on my Mac, but it doesn't work on a PC. All right, we'll get that figured out. Um, so uh, the title of this message is, um, In Adam we are in sin and death, but in Jesus Christ we have righteousness and life. In Adam we are in sin and death, but in Jesus Christ we have righteousness and eternal life. And there's a lot that we could talk about here in Romans chapter 5. In the first five verses, he talks about um, that the Romans are suffering, but he's trying to encourage them to say, if you're suffering in Christ, he's building endurance, which will build character, which will renew hope in you, because God has poured out his love through the Holy Spirit, the first five verses. And so he's talking to people who have gone through suffering and persecution Uh, as believers. And it is in the midst of that time of suffering, you know, David Yee talks about um, just kind of a struggle he's having in his life. And you might be here today uh, and your struggle as well is financial or it's relational or it's your health or it's um, whatever that might be. Uh, It's interesting that Paul in Romans chapter five, he addresses that suffering, and he says, you know what? God's going to work through that. He has poured out his love to you through the loving Holy Spirit that resides in your heart. But then he transitions, and he reminds them of the gospel. He reminds them of where they have come from, Adam, and what Jesus Christ has done in their life. So I want to focus on that for this sermon. I want to focus on the contrast between the sin and death that we have in Adam versus the righteousness and life we have in Jesus Christ, which is really the main topic of Romans chapter 5. I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I think we have that up here. Perfect. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, this is really the the key verse to chapter 5. He says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundant grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the principle. One man brought everyone down spiritually, and one man rescued everyone spiritually. Let me say that again. One man brought everyone down, cursed everyone, brought a curse upon everyone spiritually. One man did that, but one man spiritually rescued everyone. That first man was Adam, the second man is Jesus Christ. And that is the essence of this chapter. That is the essence of verse 17. And what you're being asked to believe and to be reminded of as a Christian is that there was this one figure throughout human history, Adam, 
whose actions in the Garden of Eden, in the fall of man, along with Eve, affected everybody else, brought a curse upon everyone else, and that there was this one man, Jesus Christ, in the first century, who through his atoning death on the cross, perfect sacrificial lamb, dying on the cross for our sins, God's wrath poured out upon him, he defeated sin, he defeated death in his death and resurrection, that he made it right. The first Adam was the perfect man. He fell. Jesus Christ is the second Adam, the last man, and he restored everything as the perfect man. One man brought a curse on everyone. One man rescued everyone. Now, you might listen to that and say, well, how is that possible? Why should we be responsible uh, for one man's actions? How could one man's actions in the past have affected us all now, and how can we, why should we be connected to this one man, Adam? And what you're being asked to believe, the Bible is saying, is that Adam is not a mythical figure. He's not some kind of fairy tale. He's not some kind of, some kind of uh, you know, fictional narrative. Adam was a real human being. He was the first human being created out of the dust, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And so you ask yourself, how can one man connect us all? How can one man's actions uh, in an event that I wasn't even there for, how can I be held responsible for that? How can he affect the entire world? And I I think it's actually very easy to believe that. You know, if you look just at the past couple of years here in the 21st century, it's very plausible for us to look around and say, you know what? There was an event that affected us all. There has been, even recently, the actions of one man that have affected so many. There has been been a, a mindset where we look at ourselves today and say, no, one person is connected to another person by virtue of a connection of what they look like. For example, COVID was an event that happened that pretty much started in China that affected the entire world. How can one event that you had nothing to do with, that happened completely in a different part of the world, affect you? COVID did. Uh, if you read the news, you, you, uh, you know from this past week, one man's, essentially one man's actions, he led his organization, um, brought down an entire financial system. Um, I've been doing research in the, into the crypto space as part of my uh, for my books, and I'm going to write about it in both of my books. And if you know, this past week was the worst crash in the cryptocurrency market in history. And there's a man, his initials are um, SBF, and long story short, um, he took billions of dollars, he misused it, and it had this cascading effect, and it just basically crashed all of these markets. We don't know how bad it's going to be. It may play out over the next few months, and people have lost fortunes, billions of dollars uh, at the institutional level, let alone the individual share, you know, uh, investor level. One man's actions brought things down out of his own evil. And you look at today, you know, in, in our country, uh, if I'm Asian, you know, and, and, and I look at some other Asian person who gets beat up somewhere, I feel a connection because I'm Asian. Just because, I mean, if someone's black, right, and they get killed on the street, well, does, do all black people have an opinion on, do do they feel like they're connected to that in some, yeah, it's true, 
right? And so what we look at in the 21st century is we can readily see that one event that happened somewhere else affected so many. One man's actions that happened somewhere else affected so many. When something happens to another human being that you have some kind of DNA connection to, it affects you. And so it's not such a great leap to believe that Adam, somewhere maybe 6,000 years ago or so, I'm a, I'm a uh, uh, younger earth uh, theologian here, that when he fell, when he disobeyed God's commandments that God specifically gave to him and then to also to Eve in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, where they knew that they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they disobeyed that. It was that one man, even though Eve did it first, Adam was ultimately responsible because he was the one that was given the command to not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So God held him responsible. That's why we're talking about him in Romans 5. And so one man's actions, one event, one kind of connection where we don't, we share the same spiritual DNA as Adam affected us all today. It's not such a great leap when you look at it that way, is it? Adam's actions caused sin and death to be transferred to all of us. And so when we look at Romans chapter 5, before we get into some of these passages, uh, what we want to recognize is that when Adam went down, when it talks about Adam going down in this passage and him bringing sin and death into this world in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, before, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, uh, his trespass means to, to break a law. So one man's sin, death led to death. The two biggest problems that human beings have ever faced throughout human history, the two biggest problems that philosophers have not been able to solve, um, doctors have not been able to solve, uh, politicians, economists, uh, social activists, nobody has been able to solve the two biggest problems of human beings. And those two problems are what? It's the problem of human evil or sin, one, and number two, the problem of human death. These are the two biggest problems. Can anyone give me two bigger problems that human beings have? You say suffering? Well, Jesus Christ did not come to eliminate suffering. He came to identify with this, our sufferings. He suffered on the cross, but he didn't come to eliminate suffering. Suffering is not the biggest problem that human beings have. We're always going to suffer. Jesus suffered. Now, our two biggest problems are human evil and human death. If we didn't have either one of those problems... We wouldn't need a savior. And the biggest problem you have and I have is our own evil. The biggest problem we have is that we're going to die. And Jesus Christ came into this world to solve the two biggest problems that human beings have. He came to solve the problem of human evil or sin and to solve the problem of human death. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to solve the problem of you being poor He didn't come to solve the problem of you suffering. He didn't come to solve the problem of you not living a fulfilled life. He didn't come into this world to solve the problem of have you um, find the love of your life. Those are great. Those are nice. We hope that for you. But that's not why Jesus Christ came. Because why? Because those are not the two biggest problems you have. And so when we come to this passage and we look and Paul is talking about 
Adam who brought sin and death into this world. One man's trespass brought death through one man, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, and, and then it says again in Romans 17 that it was because of one man who brought grace and the free gift of righteousness and life through his life, Jesus Christ. What you're being asked to believe, what you're being asked to say this is true, is that there was a historical Adam and his actions, this event connected us all and it brought this into our lives, number one. And you're being asked that there was a, to believe that there was a historical Jesus whose actions forgave us for our sins and helped us and allowed us the ability to overcome death, the two biggest problems that we have as human beings. And this is so foreign to the 21st century mindset. So you have to realize that what I just said, hey, believe that Adam brought sin and death into this world. Hey, believe that Jesus Christ overcame sin and death and brought God's righteousness and eternal life into your life. That statement alone, which is the essence of Romans chapter 5, verse 17, is anathema to a 21st century post-Christian mind. Because unbelievers today cannot accept that statement. Why? Is because what this statement says in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, is it, is it demands that you accept spiritual authority in your life. It demands that you say, there is an authority that has given me the word of God. Number one, there's this authority that's been given to me, the word of God, that is simply declaring to me. I wasn't there, 6,000, were you? I wasn't. And so I have to take by trust that this authority by God's word is sharing with me how we got the two biggest problems that human beings face and the origin of it and what went wrong. And I just have to accept it as spiritual, uh, spiritual authority. Being our, our world rejects spiritual authority. In fact, we, we reject pretty much all forms of authority today. We don't trust authority. Uh, people don't trust government. The family is being dismantled. Organized religion is being left. Um, the, it, the world is decentralizing, deglobalizing, because we don't trust authority. We don't trust centralized authority. And so when you read Romans chapter 5 and you hear the content of verse 17, you have to recognize how foreign this is to, to people today. Because they'll automatically say, no, who are you to tell me this? Who, what, what authority is this? I reject your authority. Secondly, it's, uh, it's hard for an unbelieving mind to, to accept this because people doubt history. I mean, you're coming, and Paul's coming to us with a historical account here. He's saying, this has happened like way before you. And, and this is, ex- explains everything of the problem we have, of sin and death. This, this, this was the beginning. This has happened way in the past. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's a historical account. And yet today, today, People don't trust history. I mean, you have people actually um, like Kanye, right? Or yay, whatever the name is now. He's like, I-, I don't know if the Holocaust happened. You know, like what? These people are still alive that were there. You know, um, and, and this idea that history was written by the winner, so therefore we can't trust it. Um, people don't trust history. And so an unbelieving mind has a problem with trusting this as history. And thirdly, an unbelieving mind rebels against authority, doesn't trust, authority, doesn't trust history, and sees no need for a savior. Why would you need the second part of verse 17? Um, 
We need grace, free gift of righteousness. We need life through one man, Jesus Christ. So verse 17 is telling me that I need a savior. Verse 17 is telling me uh, it's solely by God's grace, not my credit, not my, I don't deserve this. Verse 17 is telling me this is a free gift of righteousness, that I'm not good enough for God. And, uh, and so I, in a world where I don't like that authority and I don't like the idea that I have, I have to depend fully on the divine Savior, I do what? I say I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not into organized religion. Because I don't like authority, I don't trust this history, and I don't need a savior. So therefore I'll be spiritual and good in ways beyond um, organized religion. And so that is the backdrop. That is the first century backdrop, that is the 21st century backdrop in, backdrop in which we come to this text, this chapter. And I want to just draw out a couple of things as we focus on Adam and Jesus Christ. You go to verse, um, so let's look at Adam here first. Oh, which that slide doesn't work either. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> um, let's look at Adam here uh, in verse 12. I'm going to skip on down. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, so he's folk, as we look at Adam, Paul is saying that death, sin came into the world through Adam, and it was through sin that death occurred. When you look throughout this chapter, uh, Paul does not describe those who are in Adam in favorable terms. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul says that we are weak and ungodly. In verse 8, he says we are sinners. Verse 10 we are enemies of God. Verse 16, we are under God's judgment and condemnation. That is all descriptions of us who have the spiritual DNA of Adam. Weak, ungodly sinners, enemies of God, under God's judgment, under his condemnation. And when you look at the history of humanity, when you go from, uh, he talks about this, um, from in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, but was a type of one to come. What he's saying here is this, and he goes on to talk later on about um, that we have the law now. So he's saying this in those verses, that when Adam was created, or Adam and Eve, from Adam and Eve to Moses. Now this is like, uh, Moses is, is what, like uh, um maybe about uh, 3,000 years later, something like that, 4,000 years later, um, maybe a little bit less, about two, two or 3,000 years later after Adam. And from that time, he says the law was not given until Moses. So we didn't even know what sin was until the law was given to Moses, and now we're all accountable to law. But from Adam to Moses, we were still sinners. Why? How can you be a sinner if you haven't been given law, God's law? and God's standards, to know what to obey or what to break. That didn't come to us until Moses. So how can we be sinners? And what his point here is that we were sinners from Adam to Moses because we still had our sin nature. And so you take all of that together today, and you have this. We're sinners for two reasons. One, 
We've been inherited a sin nature from Adam who rebelled in the garden, number one, that called all people sinners from Adam to Moses. Number two, from Moses, who God gave the law all the way till today, we have a second reason why we're sinners, which is because we have broken God's law. So we are sinners because we have sin nature, one, but we are also sinners because we have broken God's law. And he says that this has brought death to us. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, verse 12, because all sinned. What does he mean by death? Uh, We physically die. We have, secondly, relational death. We're uh, alienated from one another. And thirdly, we have eternal death. We have physical death, relational death, and eternal death. This is what was brought to us. See, Adam brought us death physically, relationally, and eternally. Um, but as David reminded us a few moments ago, when you come to Christ, uh, you've been brought to life, but that doesn't mean that Christ is not still putting to death things in you from your old nature. And, um, he brought sin, he brought death and he brought wrath and condemnation. Verse nine and verse 16, sin, death, wrath, and condemnation. God now condemns. Why is it right Why is it fair for God to say, you're sinners, you're deserving of death, you're deserving of my wrath and condemnation? I I never understood why people had a problem with that. They say, well, that's not loving for God. But you know know what? Um, Let's put it this way. If you were a holy God, I know, let's not even go there, okay? Let, let's just say that's you. Just take you who you are right now, okay? Does anyone, have you ever been around a dead body? I have. Okay. I've been in the room as a pastor at the hospital or at the convalescent home probably about a half dozen times at the exact moment someone died, okay? I've walked into rooms where a person died within the past few hours, okay? And I don't know if you've ever been there, but, um, uh, you know, you don't want to be around that body after it's died. You call the morgue, the morgue takes it away, the body away. And, you know, I, I remember uh, when, you know, when my mom died last September, they called me and I went down there within about an hour after, after she died. And I, I was just looking at her body, right? And, you know, this is just a subjective thing I'm going to say to you, okay? I don't have... Um, Well, I know that her spirit's not there anymore. Her spirit is with the Lord. I know that. But when I was looking at her body, I was just like, you know, it's just a shell. This is just a shell of a body. It's not her. When I visited her a few weeks earlier, you know, she was still breathing, you know, and there's, you can, her, 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 the tone of her skin looked, you know, like it was normal. And so I I was talking with her. I wanted to be around her. When she died, you know, you could tell, I, I, I felt her skin, it was starting to get a little bit cold. And I looked at her, you know, this is just a shell of a body. And then I made arrangements with the morgue to come pick up the body, and they came like an hour later. Um, but at that point, I didn't want to be around her body. Yes, I knew her spirit was in heaven, so that's the main thing. But, but even, even if not, even if she was not a believer, I would not have been wanted to be around death. I loved my mom when she was alive, 
but I didn't want to be around death. I, what I wanted is to get away from death. What I wanted was to more, the more to pick up her body, take it. We actually had her body cremated. I picked up her ashes this week. Um, and, uh, and, and that's pretty much it. Why would we have a problem with God saying, you know what, your sin has brought death to your soul? Why would I, as God, want to be around death eternally in heaven? I don't. And you know what, you're the same way. When something's dead, an animal, a human being, you know, you don't want to be around that. You might mourn, but you don't want to be live with that next to you the whole time. That's, that's insane. And so, uh, and so this brought something into our lives that was, that was terrible. The first century and the 21st century, right? A first century faith for the 21st century. When we look at Adam... In, in the first, you know, as in terms of this first century faith, we want to look at Adam here in the 21st century in two ways. Number one is we want to look at Adam in the totality of what Paul is teaching here and say, we recognize that in Adam, we have what theologians call the doctrine of original sin, the doctrine of original sin, which means that we recognize that when we look at Adam, there is this original sin that took place in the garden that brought sin and death to Adam. Adam died physically. Uh, he, they, they were cursed by God. They were banished from the garden. And it, it actually spread that original sin to us. It was given to us. But there's another way we want to look at Adam as well. Um, because in the 21st century, not only do people reject the doctrine of original sin, which they should not, but... In today's post-Christian culture, we almost have a, a kind of this revisionist uh, view of Adam to say in a, in a secular world, in a world that's committed to maximizing their human potential and human dreams and human fulfillment. We almost have this, we, an unbelieving world almost has this idea of we want to return back to who Adam was in his pre-fall condition. This idea that Adam was this ideal human being in the garden, in ideal circumstances. And as the secular mindset comes about, it says, you know, we want, he's like the ideal human being and we can become this ideal human being. And so we actually have to have in the 21st century, not just a doctrine of original sin, we have to have a doctrine of original human potential. And what that means is we have to understand as Christians that not only do we get the original sin from Adam, but our doctrine of original human potential says that even if, you as an unbeliever could become like Adam who had the perfect body, the perfect circumstances, the perfect fellowship with God, he still fell. He still fell into sin. And so the doctrine of original human potential says that a secular world is wrong. An unbelieving world is wrong because the best it could do was return, try and return back to a pre-fall Adam. But Adam still fell into sin. And that's why the human potential, human fulfillment, human prosperity movement is in error. And so the way you want to look at Adam and Jesus here is you have Adam. And um, there's this progression. I want you to write down these four words, these four people. I want you to write down Adam to Antichrist to Abraham to Jesus. 
Adam to Antichrist to Abraham and to Jesus. Adam to Antichrist to Abraham to Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Because Antichrist isn't even mentioned here. But I'm going to mention him because uh, Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5 does mention Abraham, Adam, and Jesus. And I think the Antichrist is an important thing to, to recognize as well. In the 21st century, this is what you have to understand in terms of you want to just look at, if you want to look at theology just from a human perspective, like what is theology embodied in, in these human figures that, that scripture talks about? Adam, Antichrist, Abraham, Jesus. You look at it like this. Um, Adam fell in the garden. He gave us the original sin of sin and death. We all have a sin nature. We violate God's law, step one. Step two, if we stay in unbelief, in other words, if we never come to know Jesus Christ, we will eventually uh, worship the God-man, which is the Antichrist. The Bible talks about the Antichrist rising, and you can read it in uh, Revelation chapter 13. Um, he's, he's doomed to death in uh, Revelation chapter 20. But the Antichrist is the ultimate unbelieving Adam. He's kind of the world's best uh, that it can produce of the ultimate human being. And so people will, in the end times, look at this, this real human being who has been, been given uh, political and economic and spiritual powers by Satan, and they'll say, you are the ultimate human being. We're going to bow down and worship you. Because we live in a secular world, and you are the ultimate secular achievement. That's why we're going to worship you. And so it is in that context of an unbelieving world from Adam to Antichrist that Paul speaks in the book of Romans. And he says in Romans chapter 4 last week, he says, you know what? The answer is actually to exercise the faith of Abraham to put our faith in Romans chapter 5 in Jesus Christ. See, you're on one of two sides here. You're either in the side of unbelief, and that side of unbelief is to say, I'm going to live in the sin and death of Adam, and our world is culminating, an unbelieving world is culminating in the worship of the ultimate human being, unbelieving human being of the Antichrist. Or you're on this side of belief in the kingdom of God that says, I will have faith like Abraham, Romans chapter 4, to believe in the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. There's only two sides here. It's Adam and Antichrist, or it's Abraham and Jesus Christ. And the difference is salvation. The difference is between the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. And so he comes and he says um, in Verse 6 through verse 11, we come to Jesus Christ now. Um, This is grace and life and righteousness. In verse 6 through 11, he says, While we were still weak, at at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will even dare to die. All that's saying is, Verse 6 and 7, all he's saying right now is, look, um, Christ died for ungodly people, but um, even for good or righteous people, um, you know, even if you think you're that person, Christ still died for you. 
Um, he died for everyone, basically, because you're not really righteous or good. And then he goes on to say in verse 8, but God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, which is means been made right with God, declared righteous, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, that's reconciled through faith, by the death of his son, much more now shall we be reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. Okay. If you skip on down to verse 21, he says this. Um, so That grace may also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul says, Jesus Christ has come to reverse the curse of Adam by verse 21, giving us grace, which is a free gift of God, not your works righteousness. Grace is not our license to sin, but grace so that righteousness, God's righteousness, leading to eternal life may be given to us. Keep your eyes there on verse 21. What does he mean by the righteousness leading to eternal life? Uh, when he says righteousness, theologians talk about God's righteousness coming to us in two ways. The theological terms of both imputed and imparted. Imputed and imparted. God's righteousness comes to us by God imputing that to us. What that means, it's a legal term, which basically means that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus' death on the cross, God now sees as taking care of your personal sins. It, it's, it's imputed to you. And all that means is God, uh, he no longer looks at you as a sinner. He looks at you as a saint. He just literally changes his view of you. That's imputed righteousness. It's a change in mindset. It's a legal term. You're still the same human, you're, you're this human being, but you are declared righteous by God. That's imputed righteousness. Imparted righteousness happens to you at the same time. And imparted righteousness is the righteousness that God actually gives to you to change you. So it's not just you're righteously declared, declared righteous through Christ, but you are imputed, but you are imparted with righteousness. And God's righteousness actually comes to reside in you through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And that allows you to live out God's righteous life for your life, both now and eternity. He says, eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's eternal life both in eternity, but also it begins now through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is through his blood that was shed on the cross. And he says, if you go back to verse 11, we have received reconciliation with God through that. All right, so in closing, you guys, um, there's a lot in Romans 5. Uh, I was just trying to draw out kind of the main thrust of it, Adam versus Christ. Uh, this is a very deep chapter full of doctrine. And want you guys to come away from this and saying, you know, I have a very simple faith that has brought me to salvation. Just trust in Jesus, submit to him as Lord. But our responsibility as Christians is to plumb the depths of how deep these doctrines go. 
And as you read Romans chapter 5 and you read about these words like justification, you read about grace, you read about righteousness, you read about one man's sin, Adam, versus Jesus Christ, um, it's our responsibility to have a deep doctrinal undergirding to our faith. Um, You know, I end kind of where Romans chapter 5 starts. He talks about at the beginning, going back to the first five verses, uh, if you're suffering, know that will bring about endurance, which will shape your character, which will bring hope to you, because God has poured out his love to you in, um, through the Holy Spirit. And it is in that context, if you're here and you're suffering, and you have to endure, and you're like, God's shaping my character, and I need hope, and I need God's love, um, Paul's answer to that is remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the great price that God has paid for you. Remind yourself that um, the righteousness of God is made available to you. I think every one of us is probably here today at some level. And um, I know for myself, we can look back at uh, you know, all of our failings, all of our sinfulness of the past week. And um, sometimes we can look at church and, and say, you know, Monday through Saturday, I'm just kind of struggling and I'll, hopefully I'll go to church to just get enough, to kind of like you fill up your gas tank maybe once a week or whatever, right? And just fill it up, Lord, so I can just, you know, let the gas tank go down and I'll show up on Sunday. And then you can hopefully fill it up again through fellowship and the preaching of the word and prayer and communion, all this stuff. And we kind of look at our, our Christian faith that way, which we really shouldn't, actually. What we should look at it and say is, um, man, I'm, I'm kind of beaten down by the world. I've, I've found myself conforming to the world in different areas of my life. And yet throughout my week, I recognize um, it is because of Christ in me, the hope of glory, that um, I need to remind myself of this gospel. Because as I remind myself of the gospel, of righteousness that's come to me through Christ, at any moment of every day, I can be reminded, um, number one, God's righteousness has covered over all of my sin. Number two, um, God's righteousness through Christ is my guarantee that I am a child of God and he is my father. My father is good and I can come to him at any time. He, so to speak, understands. Um, And another way of saying it is he loves you, but he loves you too much to keep you where you're at. And and we come to him and I have to remind myself of, I don't want to go back to, to Adam because Adam is a curse. What I want is to live out Christ. And I, I want to remind myself that the righteousness of Christ is the life-giving way. It is the right way. The righteousness of Christ is the way that is more powerful than the world. Um, and, and have I forgotten that? And the righteousness of Christ is enough to forgive me. And the righteousness of Christ will give me victory. I must turn to him. And he will not cast me away um, because there is victory there. And righteousness is good. Uh, I, I come to Christ and I say, thank you for saving me. You know, amidst all my sufferings and my and, and endurance. And, and thank you for forgiving me, Lord. And uh, Lord, I ask by the righteousness of Christ, you would cleanse me. Lord, I ask by the righteousness of Christ, you would renew my mind from all of the conforming thoughts that are going on in in my life, but the righteousness of Christ um, 
that I may, may have victory here, and I depend upon you. And so in Romans 5, Paul is really drawing us back to say, in the midst of your suffering and struggle, remind yourself of where the true source of life and righteousness is. Keep coming back to him. because You don't want to go back to Adam. You want to find life in Christ. Let's pray together. Fathers, we close together now. Uh, that is our prayer. May we find life in Christ amidst the struggle. May his grace, uh, may we remind ourselves that his grace is enough, not just for salvation, but the good work that you have begun. We know that you will bring it to completion. Lord, may we not go back to the error of um, living the life of the curse of Adam and sin and death and, and, um, and believing there's life there, but rather move forward in the righteousness of Christ. And I pray everyone would see that as the good and pleasing and right and life-giving way, and we would turn our lives to him and, and help um, and come to him so that he may conform our spirit to his. In Jesus' name, amen.